So in the telco industry, you cannot digitize the entire supply chain or the entire value chain because there will always be a physical component. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. It's now clear that digital transformation is critical to our ability to create a truly connected world. No one knows this better than my guest today, Jacqueline Teo. Jackie's the Chief Digital Officer at HGC Global Communications, whose mission is to leverage core technologies, infrastructure, and services to enhance connections among people and business. Jackie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, Paul. Coming out of the uh, long background in, in telco, I can only think about what happened over the course of the last year, and we were all locked in our houses with streaming media and multiplayer gaming and all the things that just consume massive amounts of bandwidth. What was the impact during the pandemic on your business? I think it's been a hard year for a lot of businesses in general. However, in the telco sector, because of the shift in consumer behavior and because of the need to work and live more remotely, telcos have actually become more essential to the infrastructure of society. We found that the demand for our services actually went up, just as with most utilities in, in that time period. And I believe we're one of the few sectors that actually grew over the last year. So a bit of a bittersweet victory for us, but it's been actually quite a good year for us. Was the business ready for the scale and the demand that happened over the course? It obviously happened with quite a shock. It wasn't necessarily as predictable. In the telco sector, there is a lot of access capacity. And the access capacity grew from probably about the mid-2000s, where there was a lot of expansion on the actual physical network infrastructure. And there was a lot of upgrade into, you know, the newer type optical fibers. So there's a lot of access capacity and you'll find those geographies are doing okay because there's a lot of supply. Then there were a lot of emerging markets that had to chase. And you'll find that in those emerging markets, that's where you see the acceleration of a lot of the 5G technologies. And so you see places like Korea, Japan, China really take off on their 5G rollouts in the last year. And, and it's counterintuitive. You would think, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of businesses would slow down. But because of that pent-up demand, the acceleration to these newer technologies actually increased. So for us specifically, say in the South Asia context, we didn't really have that much challenge. I think the challenge wasn't so much on the infrastructure. It was more in the ability to scale and serve the customer. So there was a lot more challenges, not only on the on, on the sales side, but also on the post-sale side. You know, people uh, say upgrading, but not always knowing the technologies for upgrading. So the education process is there, but also a lot of people that may not have had to contemplate being physically in a single location for a long period of time. So in this region, what you have is a lot of people working off mobile, less people working off fixed infrastructure. So that switch actually was quite dramatic. So the ability to then service and scale, especially when you know half your customer service area is now forced to work from home. So we, we had to shut down our contact centers, you know, the buildings were shut, the people had to stay home, they were quarantined in their homes. So those were the things we had to change quite quickly. So I, I'd love to get to kind of the internal transformation that happened here shortly, but 
Before we go to that, you mentioned consumer demand. And as we think about, you know, the, the, the emergence of 5G and all the different things we'll be able to do when we have that volume of bandwidth and that pervasive connection and things like that, is the consumer pulling the required infrastructure because of the, the perception of what they'll want in the future? You know, I think at this current time, you'll find that the service providers are still pushing infrastructure. And I think it is a smart time to try and influence the way consumers are adopting infrastructure services, infrastructure-based services. People don't tend to think too much of their mobile phones, mobile infrastructures and things like that. So it's a, it's a good time for telcos, you know, to actually get their strategies in place and actually influence the consumer behavior because that's going to determine your next probably three to five years. So you find those cycles last about maybe eight years before the next wave of technology comes in. So my take is there's going to be a whole bunch of users. I'm going to say commercial users would drive this first. Commercial users for things like one gig line, fiber to the homes, 100 gig lines, fiber to the office, and 5G. We're already seeing that in, in Hong Kong. We're seeing ports where, you know, because there's so much demand for the rollout of infrastructure at the moment, cell towers are going up like crazy. So rather than wait for physical infrastructure and roads and, you know, tunnels to be dug out to ports and things like that, they've already got 5G portable cell sites. It's a fascinating concept because when you, you think about the, the architecture of applications, it's the business that that I'm in, you think about the the way people are going to have to completely rethink mm-hmm. because of the pervasive nature of that high-speed infrastructure. It's the, the amount of latency we accept today in five years, we won't accept anymore because you're used to having an application that's you know, served from the cell site 100 yards from your home, potentially. Absolutely, absolutely. So we obviously think about, you know, just more on the consumer side, not on the, on the business-to-business side, but, you know, remote work, and the changing nature of learning. I mean, obviously that overlaps the consumer experience and the business experience, but it seems like there are business models being created today that that we never really even considered. Are there other things that you think about when you think about like what will come when you have this virtually unlimited bandwidth or, or as far as the eye can see bandwidth? You know, I think we're already seeing it, Paul. Uh, one of the things that I see when when you have this ubiquitous distribution of access is that we're moving into a lot more of a borderless society. So the first thing I'm seeing is that digital marketing is definitely changing. You know, people used to think about segments and, you know, personalization and things like that. But what I'm observing right now is that these segments are actually borderless. There is no way you can actually generalize a whole segment in the consumer market. And to characterize remote working habits, for example, and attribute it to, you know, certain demographics or certain factors. It's very old school. So what I'm seeing is a whole lot of changes and and a lot of, I'm going to say, more advanced marketers uh, that I can see are already changing their views of how they will actually get to consumers. And and these are the companies that are, are, are really going to do well. And, you know, you see a lot more focus also on product. Because now everything is borderless and, and your reach, wherever and however you want it, you know, you just got to be smart about it because they know their customers are not single market customers or single geography customers. So that's been a really fascinating change, I think, on the consumer side for me. On the other hand, I think, well, what, what I'm seeing definitely here in the Asia region is 
I think about 40% of world's video content is consumed in Asia, if, if I've got that stat right. Don't quote me on that. But because of that consumption, like we're seeing consumers actually in the consumer market here, that it used to go in peaks. So you used to have like this drop off in the morning and by about four in the afternoon, you'll see this peak in traffic in the consumer market. And this, this was generally true of all our markets here, right? And what you're seeing now is, is this, you know, spike up in the market, kind of drops and then it spikes. So it spikes throughout the day and it's the consumption of content. And I think one of the things that would change on the, on the consumer side is it's not just serving this pipe that never ends to them. It's actually just as you have serverless compute in cloud, I think you get to the idea of like that serverless concept to infrastructure, which is more pay as you use. So both from the CDN side, so technically, how do you put things in the places where they're most required, but then also on the consuming side? I think I heard a stat that at this point, YouTube usage consumes nearly 3% of the power on the planet. I, so, I can believe so clearly, that. <laughs> clearly, there's a, clearly, there's quite the demand for the content. The idea, though, I mean, where, where you were going with the borderless, I think is fascinating because when we think about how we provide connectivity and access to underserved markets, whether they be in South Asia or Australia or Africa or more rural areas of all over the world, how do you see the future for trying to, to kind of bring some of those less served areas with the, the evolution of 5G making it easier to deliver those services? What you see in a lot of those countries, certainly around where we are, and we do a lot of work in Africa, we're one of the few telcos that will take on the African continent and the sub-Indian continent. And those are hard places in terms of physical infrastructure. I think there are three key things, right? One is where you see standards for access merge and the interoperability standards between different access methods will actually drive the ability to have multiple different access technologies. And I think where you have something like SD-WAN interoperability, which is uh, one of the big pushes in the telco industry, you will get to a point where the way consumers and corporations actually access internet services is going to be blurred. So you're not going to really care whether it's optical fiber, 5G, it's interoperable. So what they care about is for the service provider to provide access, and there could be multiple providers for that access. So that's the first thing I think that will happen. The second thing that will happen is that the ecosystem of partners will drive a lot of these, uh, I'm going to say, integrations, right? So, you know, if you've ever tried to roll fiber out or, or put cell sites in, in some of the emerging countries, most people know it's really difficult. It's complicated. Local legislation, local government, local regulation, it's all actually quite hard. And then you've got to understand local suppliers, the supply chain, etc. So I think what will happen, and, and it's happening in the telco industry, is that there is going to be a whole lot more partnerships. So if you look at, for example, in the Philippines, you know, the Philippines, they're actually creating corridors where they're rolling out new fiber just to get to some of the more remote areas. But they're not looking for just local providers. They're actually opening these to um, other parties, other telcos, other really strong big telcos to come in that says, I know how to do this business. 
So what service providers need to do is they need to be smart about how to create these partnerships. They need to be smart about the governance over this, and they need to be smart about how to create their ecosystems. I think you could have about a six-hour phone conversation about how you move from just simply integrating the networks and the partnerships and the business models and the exchange of value <laughs> to moving to truly interoperating. So, you, you know, you mentioned going back to kind of the transformation at HGC. Sometimes you need to transform internally before you can take advantage of some level of external transformation. And you started to talk about, you know, something as simple, which probably didn't feel simple at the time by, well, let's take all of our call center infrastructure and shift everyone home. Like, what does that take? And and how did you do that from a culture and a change management perspective? And what else was involved in the recent HGC transformation? Well, let me start with our transformation. And, and that could set the context of then what happened during the pandemic with our, with our customer service area. So our internal transformation specifically was because this is the first time HGC as a corporation had actually tried to do any sort of transformation on any sort of scale. So being its first attempt, th there's a lot of concepts, you know, terminology, strategies and approach and, and just culture in general that, that we needed to have aligned. And, you know, like most organizations, when they first start out, they've got capability, but these skill sets aren't really uniform across the organization and neither are they widely available. And then you'll probably find that someone has about 10% of their time to actually try to use that skill set anyway, because they've actually got, as they say, a real day job somewhere. And so you get quite a, what we call lumpy organization and that momentum in transformation is hard to get. So by the time we were forced because our contact centers are in China because in this region, we have language challenges and our, our major contact center has to speak a certain language. So your choice of contact center is actually quite narrow and ours are actually, we've got seven outsource centers that we coordinate that are in various locations in China. And we had to keep track, and this is quite a fascinating story, we had to keep track of each province as the regulations change, and we actually thought China would be quite consistent, as in a shutdown was a shutdown, but we found that they had, would shut down certain ones, but not shut certain ones. They would target certain buildings, but not certain buildings. And it was the government's way of responding to the crisis that was going on at the time. So we really had to keep track of all of those. What ended up happening was, in some cases, our staff actually couldn't go to the offices. I mean, I, mean, I remember the WeWork office in one of the provinces it got, totally got shut down, quarantined, slapped on with a, you will not enter this building indefinitely. And But we were quite lucky in that as a telco, we have our own infrastructure. So to reroute those calls and to actually have our agents work remotely wasn't actually that hard because we had actually already worked on a model where we had seven different customer service centers that we already had to coordinate. So in a sense, it was now instead of seven, we're now talking probably, say, 700. So it, it just became for us from macro scale to micro scale. We just had to keep breaking it down. We also were very lucky in that we had to, because of the change or the shift in consumer demands in some of our markets, we actually redirected whole area of organization to actually take on some of the inbounds 
into the customer service area. And there's not a lot of training to be had because it was quite a complementary operational skill. So, you know, I think we struggled in the first days. I think like most organizations, and to be perfectly honest, we struggled to actually provide the level of services. I think a lot of people struggled through that in the early days of the pandemic. I know as a, a consumer of telco services, when all of a sudden we had two people working from home and a kid doing school and Netflix and everything and, and, and finding that I, that I needed more bandwidth, it was not a seamless experience, right? Because they had the same sort of challenges over here doing the exact same thing. So as you, you, know, as you looked at, at, at someone who's been doing digital transformation for a long time, how did you look at this as an opportunity to take the next step inside? There's an old joke in American politics, never waste a good crisis. <laughs> you know, as, as you look at this, is there something that you said, OK, this is the perfect time to bring in RPA because that's what we're going to do in order to you know, increase automation to drive scale downstream or whatever you're thinking? So in the telco industry, you cannot digitize the entire supply chain or the entire value chain because there will always be a physical component and it's called a network cable. And so in this region, internet access isn't really that expensive. I mean, you, you don't have the prices that you see in America. We're talking about unlimited bandwidth, one gig lines costing about 30 US dollars a month. However, the infrastructure at the access point may need to be upgraded. You may need to go back into buildings. And remember, we have a lot of high rises here. We don't have single single family dwellings. So, you know, a lot of these upgrades actually require us to physically go back into buildings, physically organize certifications and access into buildings, and physically roll out equipment and infrastructure into buildings. Now, imagine doing that during a pandemic where the buildings are actually closed and access is actually closed. So that part of the supply chain is actually really quite difficult. But, you know, you push through it because everybody's kind of in the same boat. But, you know, we, we looked at it and there was a lot of work we did to change the way we looked at, for example, whether or not we could do more self-service, whether or not you could request, say, additional lines, because we've already got all your information. So could we just get an additional line in, go straight into the installation? So we, you know, that whole end-to-end process of additional services or, or value-added services, we did a lot to try and automate that and push that into self-service. We also took the opportunity to enhance our chatbots. So we took the opportunity to actually enhance our, our, our chatbots to do more technical service inquiries. So we started putting things like technical services. How do I reset my router? You know, I can't get my internet service. What do I do? And, and so we got a chatbot to really act like technical services. We gave them the ability, like, for example, take, take me a picture of your setup at home so I can actually see it. And then the chatbot would actually go through that picture and actually say, oh, okay, I think you need to do this or try this set of inst instructions. So we really took the opportunity to enhance some of that. You know, one of the things that is, is hard to build from a change management perspective is the human side of it, the culture side of it. And so when now you have, even if they're outsourced, a huge number of humans that are, that are working remote, and even though maybe the, the, you know, the calls are being routed differently, their workflow is different and how they engage. How was the internal buy-in, you know, it sounds like, you know, you, you were driving the transformation even before the pandemic poured fuel on it. Yeah. So the good thing that we did was creating a structure and a culture where you are expecting remote teams. I think most people that are trying to recruit 
skills in digital tech or in new tech will we'll agree, you know, you, you will probably not find all skills in one location and you will probably not find all skills in one person. So plan A is always, I'm going to have remote teams. I'm going to have teams that are transient. I'm going to have people come in for specific skills, specific parts of the application, specific projects, and they're going to come in and out. So I need a set of partners that are quite flexible. I need to have agility and trust with my finance department. I need to have agility and trust with the HR department. And those are the first two two areas I work on normally so that they understand this is how we're going to go about recruitment. This is how we're going to treat these sorts of resources. So then the tone you set for your culture actually changes quite quickly. And when you've got enough critical mass, people start understanding that, you know, you get over this whole norming and forming thing really quite quickly. And everything is about driving outcomes. Now, getting, I think what you said is so true, though. There's a lot of humans involved in this. I, I truly admit, in everything that I've done, it has truly been harder to change the rest of the organization where the culture is quite set in its ways and people are quite set in their ways. It has been really hard. I think our key has been whoever works with us gets that culture. So they get it from us. And it's the tone we set when you say, okay, we're going to do this and this is the, you know, a way we work. This is the modus operandi for us and come and come and experience it. But I think as long as, you know, when you're getting together to create outputs of a transformation, you've got that change in culture, even if it's a temporary change to create that output, I think that's actually a very positive outcome. I think it's an excellent way to describe that is maybe the culture itself isn't transitory, but maybe through the process of transformation, you you take on a bit of a different culture that is a catalyst to the transformation. It's a, it's a great way to think about it. So you mentioned one of my favorite words, which is outcomes. So as you've done this, what have you, what have you seen in terms of outcomes so far? On a tangible outcome side, I would say the company has actually grown. So if you look at our sector, if you look at it globally, most service providers have probably reported negative growth or a very low growth throughout the pandemic. I really love what you say said before, which is you know taking take advantage of good crisis, which which we did. So we we grew double digits. We absolutely grew double digits. Now I dare say it's not entirely due to digital transformation or our transformation, but it is definitely a huge contribution to the business to get to the business to pivot quite quickly. So you know on, that's on the tangible side. I think on the not so tangible, which is harder to measure more than anything, is that what I've noticed is that our environment here has become a whole lot more collaborative. And you know, there's always going to be some sort of conflict or you know some vehement debate you have in, in organizations. That's very normal, you know, by definition. But I think what I'm seeing is that the teams are able to come to agreements much quicker. They will have the conflict, but it's more constructive. And then they'll go, you know what, let's just focus on the outcome and let's just move ahead. It's not so much compromise. I don't see compromise, which is not very desirable for for me when you're trying to do a transformation because compromise always invariably ends up in some sort of resistance to change uh, down the track. I always like to see more, you know, commitment and voluntary participation in the transformation. And I think that's what I see in a lot of ways. And there's definitely a lot more openness to new ideas. And I think that's really been driven by the fact that we've had to pivot quite quickly. 
So my my last question is really to that. So when you, you you obviously there was a big investment with the business made with you and initiating the transformation. What what advice do you give to a CEO or a COO who's trying to decide whether or not they should invest in a chief digital officer and and kick off what is probably a terrifying digital transformation process? Well, what I would advise is to open their minds to chief digital officers being more than just IT. It is actually about people, process, and the technology. And the technology has to fit the transformation, not drive the transformation. And and it's a really easy way of people to say, well, you know, AI is a technology. So AI, you know, is digital and therefore, you know, we'll we'll come at it with a, a technology lens. And I think a lot of, you know, companies fall into that habit because that's the way they've operated. Yeah, I think it's a great distillation of the problems that we see in my business is that people think that if they just buy technology, transformation will happen, or if they just you know hire some internal catalyst, transformation will happen. And it's not. It, it really is a board-level conversation. So, so Jackie, I always like to end with a, a really hard question. As you come to the end of a long day, you're just starting your day now, and you want to wind down, what kind of music do you like to listen to? So I can tell you, I am listening to everything from Chinese pop to Korean pop. So I do listen to BTS. It's quite, it's true. I'm not going to plug them, but I do listen to Korean pop. (laughs) I do listen to, I don't know, I think this is called Latin pop, which is a new genre from, uh, coming out from the US at the moment, where it's a mix of reggae, hip hop, dance. And it's got it's in Spanish and in English, and it's quite a new thing coming out of the U.S. But then, you know, depending on my mood, I'd go straight back into classical. Jackie, this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for joining me, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Paul. I really enjoyed our conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Jackie. In fact, she's the longest show to date. And there were a lot of things that we could take away, and here's five that came to mind. First, while it's been a hard year for many industries, the telecommunications industry actually thrived through COVID. Yet with this increased level of growth comes the challenges associated with scale in the face of a pandemic. Change management is key in managing these challenges. Second, marketers used to think about defined market segments. But these segments are becoming borderless, and now it's more difficult to attribute habits to certain demographics or geographic factors. Marketers need to rethink how they think about and reach their customers. Third, the telecom industry is going after customers by meeting where they are, developing applications for specific platforms and specific segments. But it's critical to remain product-focused. Platforms and channels will always grow and change, so you need to build an adaptable product. Fourth, access is everything. It's difficult building infrastructure for things like 5G in less developed countries. So places are relying on partners and opening up multiple points of access for telco. Collaboration is key in trying to enter these markets and deliver value. And finally, five, we think of digital transformation as adapting physical to digital, but we'll never be able to completely digitize the entire supply chain. There will always be hardware infrastructure, servers, network cables that will need to be physically updated, something especially difficult during a pandemic. For that reason, HGC's digital transformation relied on automating many of these processes, 
making more of this hardware update self-service, involving things like chatbots and RPA, and empowering consumers to make manual updates themselves. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time.